2: Okay, we left off in oh, it's just starting the fruits of the Holy Spirit 522 is about where we is. Well, there's Dina. Hey, hey I'm sorry. <laughs> So we've gone through the the bad list. remember that uh, when you add the three at the end, we have eighteen, which is the bad number tripled. Um, now we have a a good list. That is three times three. So perfect God times perfect God. So in other words, if you want to be godly, I mean, that word comes up often in the Bible, if you want to look like God, this is what you will look like. Just that simple. Now what we're talking about is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I think I mentioned last week, I'll mention again, uh, over the summer I'm actually going to be having a nine-week series on the fruit of the Spirit. So we'll take, take a look at each, each one of them. Now, notice what Paul does. Go back to 5 519, the beginning of the bad list. He says the acts of the sinful nature. Okay? So sin is an activity. Right? Now look at verse 22. The description of what the Spirit does for us is described as fruit. Now, I can't emphasize this enough. I will certainly emphasize this massively in the summer series. Is that this is a singular fruit. These are not fruits of the Holy Spirit, much the same as it is not revelations. It is a single revelation. This is single fruit. It is single fruit because... When you go to the grocery store to buy some fruit, or there are not multiple fruits,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you do not buy all the fruit, do you? You pick out the one you want, or if you're, you know, you just wanna, you wanna mix blueberries and strawberries together, you're just gonna buy two. You might buy three. Maybe on a wild and crazy day, you'll make a fruit salad that'll have four, right? But you're not gonna have nine. So it's not fruits, So that we don't think that we are in the grocery store and we get to pick. Well, I want some love and all joy is so nice and and peace is just wonderful. Ooh, patience, I'm not taking any of that. Self-control, that has seeds all through it and I hate that. I'm not taking any of that nonsense. This is an all or nothing package. So it is a single fruit with nine separate manifestations. And what this is saying is, living in the Spirit. Now, does he not make a case that we are free in the Spirit? Making us now free, when we choose to submit to the Spirit, to follow the Spirit, this is the natural outcome of that. So it's not like, well, I'm a pretty good Christian because I have love, joy, and peace, and, and, and I'm kind, and, and I'm gentle. you got five, five out of nine. Right? I got the majority I'm doing pretty good but if you're you you know are totally impatient with people if you have absolutely no self control that you remember the fits of rage see how the that's the opposite of self control if you allow yourself to engage in fits of rage um, do you think those two alone as you interact with people would be enough to counteract your good five mm-hmm. remember oh a while back we took a look at uh uh, the, the, the first church in, in Revelation had six things, great things that they're doing. Best church you've ever heard of in your life. But you lack one thing. And Jesus says, that one thing you lack totally nullifies the other six. In fact, He says, if you don't get the one, the six you have, you will lose, and you will have zero left. I will take it away from you. All right? So I can't stress this enough. <clears throat> We've got to be doing all nine. Our lives have to exemplify and model the nine. Easy? Not so much so. But we have to know what the goal is before we can achieve it. So in so doing, and he's going to speak to this as we get into chapter 6, we don't have the option of giving ourselves a pass on that. So if you're doing eight out of nine and you're, you're not patient... I keep picking on that one because that's probably the one we struggle with the most. That, you know, so you're not a patient person. And you're 65 years old. And you've not been patient all your life. And if anybody says, boy, you're, you're not very patient. Boy, you've got all the other fruit, fruit of the Holy Spirit just nailed perfectly. You're just full of love and joy and peace and all that kind of stuff. Why not patient? Well, that's the way my father was. And so that's the way I am. Right? That's what you hear. I hear it all the time. It drives me bananas. That's why I carry my Bible around and smack people up alongside the head, right? Because that is just silly talk, right? That's not an excuse. It's going to tell us. You don't have an excuse for this. This is, you know, personal responsibility. I can't make you patient. But the Spirit can lead you to patience if you will submit to the Spirit. So failure to be patient simply means that you are uh, dabbling in the Spirit, you're not in the spirit you're 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 kind of floating around the spirit kind of checking it out you know well I kind of like that a little bit but it's it, it's a you know sticking your toe in the water
0: mm-hmm.
2: rather than just jumping in maybe going up to your knees right but afraid to go all the way so the nine are really important now as we've talked if you are in the spirit you are following uh, he's going to refer to the law of christ which is the law of love. uh, If we are all about that, then we don't have to worry about the negatives. So what this is saying is, if we are doing these nine, we don't have to worry about the 18 in the bad list. You don't have to worry about the strife and envy and and all those yucky things, right? The sexual immorality and, and all that jazz. You don't have to worry about that. Because now, filled in the Spirit... We say every day, I submit to you, Holy Spirit, and the Spirit now leads us. The Spirit leads and guides us in our actions and in our words. The Holy Spirit leads us in our thoughts. If we will allow the Spirit, the Spirit will lead us. But it does require of us that we submit. And we hate that part. Right? Because it means that I I need this. I am not self-sufficient on my own. To that I say, get over it. My little counseling session with you here, right? So I'll, I'll just doctor fill you, right? It's it's time. Right? We're all grown outs we can we can make this decision to live this way. So again, it is a single fruit with nine distinct manifestations that trust me, those outside the church, those unbelievers, are watching you because they have the same spirit, you see. They know what we Christians should look like. And the only reason they're not here is because they've seen far too many Christians not acting like these nine. They see Christians acting just like the bad list, which is pretty much the rest of the world. And so we have set a bad example for Jesus in that we've allowed ourselves to be lacking in patience, lacking in self-control. We haven't been as gentle as we should have been. We haven't been as kind as we should have been. We haven't been as loving as we should be. We're not really as joyful as we should be. Yeah, we, we don't make peace real good. We tend to be a little selfish, just like them out there, you see? So in their mind, you're the same as I am. Why would I join you? <laughs> right? What, what, what sense does that make? I'm already this way, you're already this way makes no, no sense so only when we are distinct from the rest of the world does the faith become enticing to those outside that's why it was in the early church and that's why it was most enticing to poor people the vast majority of people in the early church were, <laughs> were, were poor hard working folks living not paycheck to paycheck day to day and because they saw, yeah, I don't have a lot of money, but boy, the love these Christians have, I, I need that. That's that's gonna that's gonna make up the difference for the money I don't have. All these nine work together to produce one fruit. That one fruit is a genuine Christian life. So it starts with love. Duh. Didn't see that coming, did you? Now, love is pretty important because Jesus made a commandment out of it. So it's, yeah, you know, it's it's hard to say in this list that it goes from most important to least important, but probably that is the case. But it's not one, it's not nine, yeah, one, two, three, four, five. It is, it is one A, one B, one C, one D, one E, you see? It's all one, one, one fruit. So love fulfills the demand for God's law. I mean, it, Paul just said that back in verse 14. Scripture also says that love unites all the virtues of God into one. So again, if you want to yeah, you know, we're created in the image of God, which means we can choose to live live like God, look like God. Love by itself will fulfill that. It brings together all that God is. Scripture also says that love endures forever. 1 Corinthians 13. So love, you might get used to it, it's going to be around for a while. Joy is next. Apparently, second in importance, absolutely essential to our faith. Joy is so necessary because we will be terrible witnesses for Christ without joy. You are not going to be very enticing if you approach people like Eeyore. I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. You wouldn't want to become a Christian like me, would you? Right? Okay, fine. I'll go talk to somebody else. Right? So, joy is crucial. Because we know when we're absolutely convinced that Jesus died for me and rose again for me, that changes everything. That changes our here and now. And that changes our eternity. It should change us and change our outlook on current circumstances and any future circumstance. It changes everything. And then peace is next because peace is very similar to joy. Peace is at the very nature of Jesus is not one of his nicknames, Prince of Peace, right? Jesus in the Beatitude says he expects us to make peace. Well, you can't make something you don't have. You ever try baking a cake when you don't have all the ingredients? Right? So you yourself have to have this peace. Life in the Spirit will grant you this peace. Jesus then says, I expect you now to take that peace in such an overwhelming way into your relationships and make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. So the blessing comes when we're willing to extend our God-given peace to someone else. Now, joy and peace are linked together, side by side there, because both are not dependent upon circumstance. This is a hard concept for a lot of people. Because we've been taught, trained, and our life example, especially growing up as teenagers, it's, it's always... How's my day going? I'm having a bad day. I'm having a good day. And your life then changes according to the day you are having. I wonder what kind of day teenage girls have. Because every conversation I have with a teenage girl is, they teenage girls are only two things. I'm tired and I'm bored. <laughs> Sometimes they're tired and bored. <laughs> Can I get an amen, Dina? <laughs> right? And <laughs> just, yeah. You know. But, yeah. You know. So that's that's what they're, they're projecting. And then their lives model that. I mean, they, they've said it, so therefore their brain says, now you, you need to act that way, you see? You will live what, you know, I mean... It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're actually saying, you're revealing to others, I'm having a bad day, I'm tired, I'm bored, I'm this, that, or the other negative thing. And all of a sudden now, well, I can't say that I'm tired and bored or I'm not happy or whatever, and then all of a sudden get all kinds of happy so I have to be miserable by my own definition. Joy and peace do not depend on outside circumstances. We should be able to maintain joy, rejoice, again I say rejoice, uh, First verses of, of, of James. Consider it all joy when your life's a mess. <laughs> said, not a little joy, all joy, he says. When you're being tested, when you have trials and tribulations in your life, because that will produce perseverance, and perseverance produces yeah. all kinds of good stuff. Hey, you become a character <laughs> rather rather than an irritation in people's lives. Right? So you know, it's a process. God designed process, but when we get that in our heads and we're willing to trust God with that in His great plan that He's offering to us, we can (sighs) be joyful even though circumstances are bad. And I mean bad. I mean think of the bad things that can't happen. Loved one in a hospital, your house burns down, lose a job. I mean I mean big bad things. You can choose to still be joyful you can choose to still realize that this particular circumstance does not change my relationship with Jesus. I'm not happy. Happy and joy are not, not synonymous terms. Happy does depend on outside circumstances. You don't have to be happy. You have to be joyful. So again, those outside are watching to see that When we struggle and go through tough times, what our attitude is, what we're exuding in our relationships. If we're having a bad day and we transfer that to others and bring their day down too, others on the outside see that and say, well, that's just the way I am. Why would I want to join you? Peace is exactly the same. Peace means that you are secure in your relationship with Christ that cannot be changed by outside circumstance. Nothing in this world can separate us from the love of Christ. Do you hear that? Do you believe that? It's a promise. Nothing. So that means that the bad circumstance cannot separate you from the love of Christ, you see. So it is peaceful. You can be at peace in the middle of a war. With bullets literally whizzing over your head. Could you imagine that in a foxhole with a couple other guys? Who are shaking in their boots, literally. But you are peaceful in your relationship with Christ. Like Paul, whether I live or whether I die, eh, that's not the issue. (laughs) The issue is how I'm living today so that I can secure the salvation I want. So I will make peace even in this foxhole. If I die today, I die today. If I die tomorrow, I die tomorrow. That's in God's hands but I will live each day and each minute secure in my relationship with him. <sighs> you see, the opposite of peace is insecurity. Wondering. Uncertain. Right? So peace is established when you know something absolutely positively that will nothing in this world can change. The love of Christ is that security in your life. When we come to a point of really believing it, when we come to the point of really placing ourselves in the spirit, it will be so secure in our lives that truly, no matter what happens to us, we will be peaceful ourselves and we'll be able to make peace in the lives of others. It's awesome. So we don't have an excuse against you know self-controls coming up, you know, a couple of the others. Yeah. You know, so the outside circumstance doesn't change. So you're not allowed to be you know, gentle six days of the week, but then you have a bad day, and all of a sudden you're flying off the handle and biting people's heads off and everything else. You're pretty much discounted the other six days. Right? So that's a daily event because we are secure in our relationship with Christ. Therefore, take a deep breath and realize that this is temporary. And when we come to God, when we trust in the Spirit... It's amazing how fast things start to change. That works with our health. It works with all other circumstances. When we come to God and realize, God, what, what do you want me to learn from this? What do you want me to, to, to do in the midst of this? I'm willing to do it. You know, Job is held up as the example of having a really bad day. Like, several in a row. Yeah. <laughs> but, do you notice how fast it, 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 it turned for him? It was a short limited time. His wife gave up. Why don't you just curse God and die? There is no hope in this. Yeah, there is, because I'm secure in my relationship with God. God's going to work something out. I have no idea when. Patience. (laughs) Right? I'll wait it out. And it just came right around back to him, and everything was awesome and incredible.
0: I remember <clears throat> when my daughter in law's mother died,
1: we went down to the service and I met and I spoke to her, her dad, and he said, You know, how are you doing and stuff? He says, God is in his heaven, he's in control, we're going to do fine.
2: Yeah. See like,
1: wow.
2: what what a faith statement, yeah. and I, I, I've heard that in so many places. With you know, people standing at the hospital bed of yeah. you know, a dear one dying, you know, just in all kinds of really awful circumstances. But I mean, what an encouragement to you in the faith, <laughs> and now to us in the right. faith, yeah. you know, knowing that somebody could actually do that. You know, we, we think it's it's a theory mm-hmm. that only super Christians, one in a billion, can do. Yeah. But you and I can choose to do this. You see, it's it's just it's it's a it's a slight shift in, in how we're looking at that circumstance. And when we realize, yeah, even this tragedy in my life does not shake God off his throne. <laughs> <sighs> you See? Peace. It brings us right back to peace. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not sad. It doesn't mean that, that you, you, if, if a loved one does die, that you, know, you, you don't you know, miss that person. I'm not, not saying that you, know, you just walk around giddy all the time in the midst of your grief. Joy is not really a smile on your face. Joy is the confidence inside that I am still in God's hands. Nothing will change that. But that in and of itself will change your outside demeanor. That you won't be so sad that you, you, know, you don't function and you, know, you, 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 you go through that process. grief is a process, and you keep moving your way through it, and you keep taking steps, sometimes baby steps day by day, but we have to remind ourselves, who's really in control here? I'm not in control of this. If I was in control of this, I I hate this. I never would allow this to happen. But it has happened, but I realize I'm in God's hands. There's my security. (sighs) Love, joy, peace... Anyone anyway, skip over patience? I don't have time for that. All right, let me ask the question: What? Why is it important to be patient with others? Michael. God's patient with us. You did it. <laughs> See, I I was all prepared to let you go for a while and run run through all these various scenarios. Somebody got it last night too, right? I mean, duh, right? <laughs> Right? So we, again, are to be like God. Is that not the essence of God? <laughs> so, both my groups, you guys got it. You're, you're like the jam program, but they get the answer right I'm just giddy. <laughs> that's awesome. You all, the rest of you, are going to say that too, first of all, right? Oh, so uh, I mean, Sure. yeah. But, but you see, I mean, that's it. You see, the core, the absolute essence of what we're talking about here. So we can't Force ourselves to be patient because people are irritating us all. Get out. We can only do it when we put ourselves in the spirit. And yeah, patience is the most remarkable one of on this list for me. I, I just can't believe that that's in there. Ranked number four. Wow. Then the top half. It's critically important because if, if we're not patient, Think of how that changes our interaction with each other. I mean, Christian to Christian, believer to unbeliever. You know, if you approach an unbeliever, all right, that's it. You got five minutes. You better believe in Jesus, or you're going to hell. Has anyone ever said, "You're right, I believe in Jesus now," and I don't think anyone in two thousand years has ever ever agreed to that they might if they want to get rid of you Yeah, well, and I, I've seen that happen yes I have yeah, people just, just to get you off of their back yeah I believe in Jesus and yeah, just, and then when they see you coming from then on they just you know, run away from you um, but a genuine conversion is not going to happen that way did it work with you? right? doesn't God give you chances, opportunities that's why we're here today. We're not forced into the faith. We're offered the option, and when we're ready, God is patient and allows us to do that. The sooner we make that decision, the better for us, but whenever. If you want to be like the thief on the cross and wait your last 15 minutes, have at it. But God is patient. And whenever we're ready to make that decision, Jesus is more than willing to accept us. So patience is at the nature of God, therefore it needs to be in our nature as well. well
3: that way we're modeling
1: patience. We're modeling good behavior for people to, especially when you're working with children. Yes, you know, yes. They do require a little bit of patience.
2: Sometimes. You're four years old. You've been on the planet for four years. Don't you know anything yet? <laughs> Now, moving on to kindness. Be kind to others. Play nice. In fact, Scripture says that we should outdo one another in kindness. Right? So, in fact, this should be a healthy competition we have with one another. So, Linda does something nice for me. I should do something not equal but greater than what she did for me. But we're not done, you see, <laughs> because now the ball's in your court. Now you have to one-up me, but then I have to one-up you. But then, no, you have to one-up me, right? And it goes back and forth and back and forth. So this is with all of us. Outdo one another in kindness. It's an incredible way to show the love of God to others. It's a great encouragement to fellow Christians in the faith, and it's a great, a great example for unbelievers to see in us that we are patient and we are kind. We are this way. So it it continually challenges us to find new ways to be kind to one another. Something helpful in the life of somebody else. For goodness sake, be good. Just share God's goodness with others. God, who has been good to you and freely given goodness to you, you now give it freely to others. Don't be stingy. Again, outdo. Overwhelm the other person with goodness. Not so that they will see you as a good person. Remember, Jesus wouldn't even allow others to call him good. No, only the Father is good. So it's not to get accolades yourself, it's simply to model God to others. Faithfulness is next. And you would think that, that after all Paul has talked about for the first five chapters, faith would be number one. That's always been talking about. No law, faith, 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 right? But look how far down on the list it is. It's crazy. But it made the top nine. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely necessary and important. And again, it's it's not even like they're they're really ranked. These are. It might be easier just to see these on a on a, on a straight line rather than. You know, a vertical line that looks like one is better than the other. Like I say, every everyone, you can't you can't be in the spirit with only eight of these.
0: My Bible has generosity
2: next. I have gentleness. Oh,
0: okay.
2: Yes, faithfulness, then gentleness. Okay,
0: mine's in a different. Yeah, but mine's kindness, generosity, faithfulness.
2: Yeah, generosity. One. Okay. Goodness, generosity. Yeah, they. they sort of that's fairly similar. Now, yeah. Okay. Yeah. A, a giving spirit. Yes. So give give goodness. So that that you know, again, we talk every Sunday. You know, with our you know with our time, with our talents, with our finances. I mean, you just you're giving goodness in one of those forms.
3: And you have to do it cheerfully,
2: or else. <laughs> <laughs> try, try and exercise some patience when you're doing that. Hurry up and get that plate over here. <laughs> Please. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Be kind while you're doing it. Uh-huh. Now, gentleness is next to last. Why, why does being gentle make the list? the nine most important things we should look like. In other words, I'm asking, what is the value of a gentle spirit? A soft approach. Okay. What's the matter with a hard approach?
0: <clears throat> it's against God's
2: will. What does a hard hard approach usually result in? Anger, yeah. frustration, <clears throat> hate. Yeah, you're actually eliciting... A negative response from another person.
0: Even from
2: yourself. Yeah. and He's, he's going to talk about that in a minute. That we, we actually start sinning ourselves and interacting with, with, with somebody we're actually trying to help. When you go charging in and you're not patient and you're, you're forceful it just it blows up in your face and you actually sin yourself and cause the other person to sin. That's how arguments start. So it's necessary to be gentle. Don't want to let you in, in on too much, but drop down to 6 1. If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, you're, you, if you call yourself a super Christian, you should restore him gently. Aha, uh-huh. see? So in our interaction, out of the nine, the only one that's highlighted is gentle. I mean, you almost think it'd be loving. With the loving spirit, nope. Gentle is specified.
1: I'm thinking. I also that connotes uh, Jesus as a lamb of
0: God too. Yes. Giving himself. Yeah,
2: yeah. Too. He's not not some ferocious right. beast, but mm-hmm. the most passive,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, soft and gentle mm-hmm. model you can imagine. Yeah. So gentleness is incredibly important. Again, in terms of our interactions. So if we give ourselves a pass on gentleness, then we're going to be, be rough riding over people and, and you know, just not treating people as God has treated us. So we need to keep that in mind. We need to be very conscious of that. This is the goal and the expectation of how we are to live. And results all of this into dun, 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 self-control. Yeah.
0: Does
3: that
2: include potato chips? Yeah. <laughs> or whatever, whatever food vice you have, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's self-control. And, you know, I mean, in, in, in a lot of relationships, especially in marriage, uh, the, I see such a value in self-control because what I, what I see in a lot of the counseling I do is the result of one, often both persons in the marriage, are trying to control each other trying to change the other person. How's that working for you? You got 10 years in on this and you're just really at each other's throat constantly because you're both doing this. How about try managing yourself for change? Because you see, the beauty of that is when I change how I choose to interact with you, by definition, that is going to change how you interact with me as opposed to be trying to force you to change before I'm willing to change you can't change anyone but yourself but when we choose to do that when we're self controlled to do that that's when the magic starts that's when church becomes church we're going to get into that in chapter 6 Good, ahead
1: Dave. to me what's important about gentleness is it defines or describes the action you
2: know, yes yeah you know, the, the process and the end result is, is a result of, of gentleness. Not forcing people or, you know, holding a gun to their head and saying, do this or else type of thing. But, but gently, you know, drawing in. And, yeah, you know, that's a, something we all need to work on. I'm willing to admit it. Because I'm always right and you're always wrong. And just listen to what I tell you to do. The world will be a much better place. But, hey, let's work on this together. So we do it gently. Being a self-controlled person means that. That's why it's powerful that this one is last. It comes right back to the beginning. Self-controlled means that you choose to allow the Spirit to guide you. Self-controlled means I am making a conscious choice to submit to the Holy Spirit. Now, again, no one else can control you. I can preach to them blue in the face, but I can't make you do anything. So we're going to get more into self-control and uh, personal responsibility here in just a matter of seconds. But we've got a few more verses to go in this chapter, but on the nine. Any other thoughts, comments, questions, controversies? on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Miss Dina.
1: Uh, I just wanted to mention that in, a sec- in the secular world I used to teach about the emotional bank account and how you make deposits to people or withdrawals. So if you think about that as mm-hmm. a bank account which exactly fits in here but, yes. but the research says you know you can love on someone and give them all kinds of deposits but you make one withdrawal you say one unkind thing you act in it, it takes seven deposits yeah. to make up for that withdrawal, which this goes right back to scripture, that if you're not practicing all of those, and we will all slip, but isn't that interesting? If you get in your mind, if you just mess up one time, it takes many of the priests, many acts. To get
2: back on. So the the old children's adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, is absolutely untrue. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, why do we teach kids that? You know, it's, it, it does kind of build up their self-esteem that, well, I'm not going to allow that to, to, to affect me, but I don't think I've ever met a child where that worked. <laughs> and certainly as adults, we know it doesn't work because, I mean, words are very hurtful and damaging. And uh, So the self-controlled part is we have to manage that. And like you say, if we do slip... We also have to be, it's going to tell us we need to be self-aware, take 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 control of your own life, and realize that, ask for forgiveness, and go to that person and, and apologize, and there's one back in the bank, but you have to do six more things to make up for it, another consistent pattern of that, but we can't do it. That's the good news. But uh, unfortunately, so many people... In all their relationships, have zeroed out the account <laughs> with with everybody they know, and still expect them to give them something back. When well, people get to a point of being somewhat resistant to that, and then that makes them mad, they start demanding, which makes people even more resistant. And it just yeah, see how it goes. It just it, it it's amazing how we push each other's buttons, and we, we allow people to push our buttons, and we use that as the excuse. Why, you yeah, know, she made me do it. I mean, how many times we see a Doctor Phil with a, an abusing husband? That yeah, you know, she's the one that makes me do it. If she just wouldn't do that anymore, I'd be fine. <laughs> really yeah you know, self-control right so you 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 can't make me be a bad person you can't make me be a good person I mean you can create an atmosphere that would entice me to be a good person but I have to make that choice myself to actually meet you halfway in that but yeah I I've experienced a lot of people who just love to argue and try and draw me into silly arguments and, you know, trying to be right and all that type of thing. And, no, I'm not going to do that. Doesn't work. It's not going to be beneficial. So, it's
1: very liberating, too. It is. To, you know, to say, hey,
2: but,
0: oh, I'm not going there.
2: And... And, and, and I think not going there is an example of making peace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, because entering into it is going to make war. <laughs> so I, I choose instead to to just opt out and and make peace.
3: Someone told me uh, one time that words, if you allow them to be hurtful, you can you have the self control or yes. the choice to refuse to allow words to hurt you, so that you can just totally you know if someone's trying to insult you you can just totally in essence flatten them because you don't accept them
2: Right. you can, you can make, make that choice So that's what I'm saying you know, nobody can force anything on you but by the same time that, that, that you can't use another person as an excuse he made me do it she made me do it no it's your mm-hmm. your choice so it's what I'm saying is since you can't control what the other person does to you the only thing you can control is your reaction to that person now if somebody comes at you with a lot of anger and hostility and all that you could actually control yourself and give that person a hug it'll disarm them pretty fast <laughs> what are you say to you?
1: Well, and now it's even more insidious probably not for us but i think we need to have a continual conversation about technology mm. because what is happening yeah. mm-hmm. um, with young people. And even myself, when I text something, I need to check what I'm saying there and say, is this a kind thing or is this, you know, what's happening now, all this bullying and st- and things are happening because people are sitting behind a screen. and. It's easy not to even think about self-control because you're firing off things to people
2: and often anonymous. Right, you can do it and, and get away with it. Technology
1: really lends itself. Think about how much fun the devil is having with technology, which yeah. is such a wonderful thing, but it's a two-edged sword. You know, it can be, and we see it being used for horrendous stuff, and people don't even aren't even thinking about it because they're behind the screen. Yeah. And anonymous. Yep. So even though we may not be using it as much, it's important to have conversations with I don't have grandchildren, yet, but with grandchildren, with children, mm-hmm. with whomever if that comes up, just to understand yeah. it, because you don't it you know everyone's doing this and this yep.
0: and
1: you know, don't even think about Choose it.
2: Choose not to engage. Right. Uh-huh. Yep. So yeah, so when somebody uh, you know attacks attacks you over the internet <laughs> I mean, you got a choice. You can choose to fire back, or you can choose to, yeah. I'm I'm not going to allow that to, to Im, impact me. It's safe I mean,
1: to stand behind a wall and throw rocks.
2: Yep, exactly. That's just it. Back. And it's it's becoming more and more prevalent. I just just saw a report that, um, uh, it's not cyber bullying, but it's it's affecting especially our our young young girls. Is I mean, when we all grew up. You know, we always said, you know, the, the, the magazines, you know, had these pictures of models and all that were just so unrealistic and, you know, Barbie dolls and all of that. And, and so it, you know, the, the, the self-image of so many young girls was affected by that. Now, that, that meant that you had to go out of your way to find a magazine to look at it. Nowadays, every, every young girl receives dozens and hundreds of images a day of those extreme you know, body, body figures times. and all of that, and, right. and hold that up as the model, saying, unless you look like this, you're nobody. And so the girls are getting just slammed with this constantly. I mean, it's not billboards anymore, it's on their phones, mm-hmm. passed around, you know, all these, you know, Facebooks and, you know, just all these types of things that these kids are on that just image after image. It's all image related. Constant, constant. So we're, yeah, we're creating a real monster here and um but then, out of frustration, if I don't look this way and'm I'm, I'm, I'm irritated with myself and I don't have any self-control, I'm going to lash out against you, <laughs> right? you, you floor, right you're you're're you're, you're, you're uglier than I am, so you know you know you're I'm, I'm a better person than you well that. Certainly sounds like something a good person would say, right? <laughs> so, you know, so that, that, that's what happens. But yeah, people are giving themselves permission to do those kind of things, and it's just—it's getting out of hand. It's just—it's really getting getting crazy out there. I'm glad I'm not a kid anymore.
3: Mm. Huh? Did you hear the that what is she? The news reporter and her tirade against this yeah. woman who was—I mean, they had towed the reporter's car, but she lashed out at this woman. No. That, you know, I'm on TV and I'm this, and I. And it's like you know, pay the bill and leave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like the
2: rest of us. Yep. <coughs> Special I privilege.
3: The, I, I, I give the receptionist a lot of credit because she did not turn back on that woman. She yeah. Did not yeah. say.
2: You a can word. do it. It's not. It's not hard. It's not I hard just at all. Say one more
3: thing too. You know, I read blogs and things on the
1: internet. I think if we, and and sometimes I'm very irritated, I don't respond, but from Christian people, the hate words that are coming through,
3: Uh when they're
1: just dumping their thoughts out on, Mm -hmm. and and there, there are people I know then who are responding, liking it, saying, and I'm thinking, I just get. So then I have to push pause and go maintain some yeah. self-control because I'm now I'm feeling anger towards someone I know who's responding to hate language. So if we could just learn to use this filter, which is one, you're saying it's one, that's great. If we could just post that somewhere and use that as a filter, because I think we Christians are. And if you watch, you know, they lump Christians, all Christians, in one evangelical lump and say that we do this and this and this, people who are not liking these yeah. things, it, it just gets out of hand. It yeah.
2: comes know? across very judgmental and,
1: yeah.
2: And, yeah. And, and superior and yes, no good can come from right. this. But right. yeah, but so many Christians lack self-control. And allow themselves to be baited into conversations like that, and it's—I I really think it is a, a deliberate effort on, on the other, the other side, just trying to give us the opportunity to show how stupid we really are. <laughs> you know, and and, and, we and, do it. and we do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. That you know, we just we we have to exercise self-control, look at the big picture, and realize nope. You know, do anything I do here is only going to make it worse and I can't make it any better so I choose not to do anything and I'll do you, you do the best you can in whatever circumstance Evading us yep mm-hmm. then you have to realize that you have to be able to discern that and realize that well oh, that's this is just an effort to you know make make me look bad and you really need to exercise your Miranda rights everything i say can and will be used against me so you know there's you know, there's some, there some wisdom to keep your mouth shut occasionally you don't have to weigh in on everything you know and uh, but you know the, all, what i hear you saying Dina is yep you know, if you're going to enter into that, that's the filter right so your words need to be gentle I mean clear, not uh, that's what I find so uh, some people try to be gentle to the degree that after I read what they have to say, I have no idea what they're saying. You know, what side are you on really? You know, I mean what, you know, what are you really trying to say? It drives me nuts you know, so gentle d- doesn't mean vague, gentle means you know you you, you speak the truth in love. But you do it gently, not, and weigh your words so that if, if you know that this word or this phrase is going to elicit a negative response, don't use it. Don't you know by now that saying certain things irritate people? <laughs> don't do that anymore. Right? Do something gent- gentle instead.
1: Doesn't it go back to the our knowing the truth? It goes back to yes. when I get all kerfluffled about what is this? I have to go back to what's the guiding principle? What is God saying that never changes? Always stays? Not my twisted view of what it might be. It's what God says. Then we have to pause and think about that and go from there. Instead of just retorting back on, or or weighing your, I mean I can say all kinds, I use words pretty well, and I can say it in all different ways. But it goes back to God, not what I'm thinking
2: about it. So, and everything we say and do should be a reflection of God, yes. Right. Everything. And if not, then don't do it.
1: Right. What's, tell us what your filter is. What's your filter for everything we bring up? And we just talked about it. All the things Let's see. we bring up.
2: And if, it, if it's not going to build the kingdom, no reason to do it. That's what we're about, right? Which means, yeah increasing our uh, our faith here as Christians but by the same token bringing bring new ones in that should be our single motivation because it certainly seems to be Jesus's
1: I so appreciate that and Pastor Jeff because we all have our individual needs and wants on how we think it should be but it, when, when it comes right down to it it's not about what we want you know do I want that life to look different or do I want that it comes down to Getting people. Say it again. King, kingdom building. <laughs> okay.
2: That's what we, you know, we talked about the circumcision party. We need, we need a king, kingdom building club. <laughs> that's, you know, that's our, our, our main focus. But you know, as I, as I get to these churches, you know, that need a Matthew twenty-eight consultation that I do every weekend. I mean, that's always the root cause. Everybody in the church is just me, 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 me. I want what I want, and you get 50 people wanting some, something different, and expecting the pastor to give everybody exactly what they want. That's never going to happen. So you got 50 irritated people, but none of them are thinking outside. It's yeah, I mean,
0: either I-centered or God-centered, one way. Or precisely. The
2: other. Yep. The one, one, one church I was at. I don't know. Probably two years ago. Um, I just, just a, a constructed a mission statement, which was essentially reaching into the community for Christ and um, we talked to now these are the leaders of the church the ones who constructed the statement Uh, we interview them individually throughout the course of the afternoon and one of the questions was can you tell us your mission statement that was after we asked them how they get along with the pastor and everyone said we love our pastor he's a great preacher and five out of eight of them said something to the effect of we hang on his every word the pastor had just preached a three-week series on our mission statement. And when I asked them, can you tell me what your mission statement is, one out of eight said, it has something to do with, with reaching into the community, doesn't it? Seven out of eight says, no, I can't tell you one thing about it. We hang on his every word, but we know nothing of what he and says.
1: There is a follow-up story, because that happened right before one of our charge conferences, and the first thing the DS asks us in as yes. community is, what is your... And we all just Uniformly. rattled it Uniformly. And, and she goes, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> yes, that, that's
2: what I'm saying. That, so it's, the, the mission is this, this building process. I mean, we have to equip ourselves here, right? We need to do that. And grow and develop in the faith and mature in the faith but the purpose is not to mature to the point that we just get this sit back and have somebody you know feeding us bonbons you know for the rest of our lives the, the purpose is so that now we realize what we're supposed to do and we will get out of the pew and we will get into the community for christ that's that's the process but churches are notorious for you know imploding and wanting to have this all about me I want what I want. This is the you know, color of carpet I want, and this is, you know, the church doesn't start with the time I want, and I'm mad, and, you know, if I don't get my parking place, I'm mad, and if I don't get this, that, and the other thing, just a bunch of crabby people all over the place. Wait till we get to chapter 6. We're going to have some fun with this. Let's finish chapter 5. So the last, last couple of verses. Already now he's starting to, after, after showing us the bad list and then showing us the good list, now he's telling us, this is your responsibility verse 24 look at it carefully will blow you out of the water those who belong to Christ Jesus who are those who belong to Christ Jesus you and me right Okay. have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires who's doing this crucifying of sinful nature we are we're supposed to be anyway right you say Jesus died on the cross to give us the power to do that. But he's not going to do it for us. We have to choose to do it ourselves. We choose to take away the power of sin and death in our life when we claim the power that Christ offers to us by dying and resurrecting on the cross for us. See how it works? This is our responsibility. And again... Self-control, I can't do it for you, you can't do it for me. You can only do it for yourself. That's a pretty powerful sentence there. (laughs) Right? So, verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit. Now, again, the assumption, you're living in the Spirit, right? Okay, we're living by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, there's another uh, 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 marathon image. Step. Step. Which means that individual Christians and the church cannot get ahead of the Spirit. Oh, I know where you're going, Spirit. I'll take care of it up here, Eddie. I'll pave the way for you. Uh-huh. By the same time, we dare not lag behind. I'm tired. <laughs> I need to sit for a while. Because sometimes the Spirit is walking at just a nice nice pace, just like you would be hiking or something, right? you got a group together and you just, you know, you're you all just trying to stay together and you, you, you go at the pace of pretty much the slowest person there. Sometimes the Spirit does that. Other times there's something pretty urgent up there and the Spirit's going to break into a trot, <laughs> right? Keeping in step means we're going to mirror what the Spirit is doing. If the Spirit is saying, you guys really got to up your game quick, we have to be willing to up our game quick. So the Spirit is not stagnant. Same pace all the time. So whatever step the Spirit is doing, we have to equal that. Day in and day out. Individually and collectively as the church. That will result in us not being conceited, not thinking that we are better than everybody else. He's going to tell us that in a minute. Not irritating people, provoking others to a bad action we do that when we think we're right and we want to prove the other person wrong so that's the only goal it's not establishing the truth it's just make sure you know I'm right see and once again make sure that you're not envying one another that was in the original list that one's doubled, that one's really important envy can lead into a whole host of other bad, bad, bad things but it's your choice to crucify the sinful nature Jesus was crucified to give you crucifixion rights yourself. (laughs) You can do it. And now goes chapter 5. What thoughts do you have in chapter 5 that we've not clarified completely? Well, I'm I'm
1: sure that happens because I have a friend that... um her sister is so spiritual and keeps pushing this and pushing this down their throats that they've totally turned off yeah. against it. They don't want to do it. Yeah, you when know you know when the when the movie uh, Heaven is for Real came out. Yes. She bought that she bought each one in family the book, then she sent them the movie, then she said she's just over and they just now are don't want anything to do with it. It's sad.
2: It's not a real gentle. Mm. You, you, you have to and, and gentleness I think is dictated by what you know the other person can handle. Which is not universal in any family. I mean you have the extreme and everybody in the middle, and I mean it's just so every person has to be individually treated with gentleness.
1: And since she set herself up that way, then you're quick to pick on things that show that she's not a Christian. Yeah. Yeah you know I mean.
2: Hypocritical. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See that and that's the result, you see. you you're you're provoking people to not accept Christ to to, to, to pick at you. So and the, the the sure sign of you have somebody like that in your family when they show up with a bullhorn at at Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Believe in Jesus you're going to hell. You know, and but yeah it's but all all in the name of Christ. And yeah, you know, what a what a a, a bad example, a, a really poor witness because it's not producing it's not effective it doesn't do what you're really trying to do. I mean, a person should begin to realize that, at least if you're such a super Christian, you should be able to look at that situation and say, yeah, I've been beating these 20 people over the head for, for five years now, and I'm getting nothing out of this. They actually hate me. Hmm. wonder if I should change my approach. Good.
1: But here's the neat thing. This is your friend, right? Right. So then, what's so then, like? so then <laughs> they have you, and they're thinking cognitive dissonance. There you are, living it. So I think that's, like the oyster, you know, saushing the. Yeah. Because you wonder what to say, but
2: then you think, I better keep my mouth
1: shut. Nah. <laughs> They've had enough. I mean, what do you say about
2: that? Well, but obviously, this person is complaining to you about, about the family and their lack of response. I think that's per- perfectly worthy of a response on your part and say, well, you know, that doesn't seem to be working. It's, would you like to talk about some alternatives?
1: Well, yep. it's not that person's not talking. No, I'm not. I don't know that person. I know the friend that has this sister. Okay, so what do I tell my friend? Okay, it's so the other way. Okay, okay. I don't want to keep. I don't want to be overdoing. But what do you say about that? Thank you. Just wait. Push pause. Just let them talk. Yeah. And when they're ready, they'll ask. Mm-hmm. And then you'll be ready. And then the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say.
3: Yep. <laughs>
2: Patience. patience. see? Patience. Rats. We hate that. <laughs> that stupid patience. Man, if that wasn't in the list, we'd be golden. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really what you're saying. is, it, it, yeah, yeah. Staying in step with the Spirit, you see. So apparently the Spirit isn't quite ready to do something in that family. But uh, I, I've seen it happen so many times in the le- life of the church that, uh, um, you yeah, we might get ahead of the Spirit a little bit, but when we put the brakes on, Slow it down a little bit, let the spirit catch up to us, just boom. Then all of a sudden it hits, and now we're ready to run. And vice versa, if we, if we lag behind, we need to need to step up our game yes. a little
1: bit. But it's hard when you're, like, you're task-oriented. Yes. And just like check, check off, off, you Cross know. it off your list. Yeah, that's, it's hard to do. It's not, I'm not saying I can do it.
2: <laughs> and that, I think, is, is why over the winter we had the series on the spiritual disciplines. Right. It's a discipline. Because it doesn't come naturally, does it? <laughs> I mean, we really do have to work at it. We might as well be honest with that. And unfortunately, most people want it now and aren't willing to work for it. But the disciplines are a, a lifelong practice that we need to keep right up front and, and, and keep working on on a, on a day-to-day basis And it because it doesn't come easy. We have to retrain ourselves to do this. And
0: and that, well, that, I'm sorry. Go ahead. In twelve-step program, yeah, um, they say attraction rather than promotion.
2: Ah, that needs image. damage.
0: Well, how you act, how you, how you live, is the attraction. Not promoting it by buying things and sending them to him, harping—or I can't yeah. say harping on something. It's. The attraction to you yeah. and how you're living and how you are
2: yes I, I was using the word enticing yeah, earlier it's the same same thing, same thing. yeah that you're, you're, you're trying to make the truth of the gospel appealing yeah so yeah if obviously your friend is saying what i've been presented so far is not not very appealing mm-hmm. so but you have found an appeal in the truth of the gospel so yes you could Maybe help that friend see, maybe crack a door open a little bit. And yeah, you know, I mean when it comes down to it, I mean the the family member is not wrong in that sense. A person is supposed to be sharing Christ with others and, and inviting and all that. It's just it's it's the the, the way she's doing that's put offish. And you know, frankly, unbelievers are terribly, terribly sensitive. <laughs> I mean you know, No matter what you do, it seems as though you're irritating them. And you know, they, they have a, a, an excuse or they, they, they have a comeback for everything you say. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be ready for that. But the good news is that you know you, you, you keep doing it. But if what you're doing isn't working, you have to be smart to try something else. Something eventually will work. But you know, we, get, we, we get points for the effort. We really do. But we've got to make sure that we're not provoking them in the process. Because that, that, that doesn't result in anything good.
0: I don't know. Sometimes I don't know if, if something will work. No, I mean, it, there are people. No
2: guarantees. Well, no. no. because
0: the opposite of that is being criticized when you don't, mm. you know, throw it in people's faces. But you're criticized because you're doing something they don't understand or want to understand. Yeah. And so it goes both ways if you're out of balance.
2: Yeah, I, I, I'm all about the effectiveness. Find, find the mechanism that will be effective. And with everybody, that's different. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why you can't have a universal, you know, I'm going to knock on a thousand doors. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't work for everybody. That works rarely for people. So you have to try something. I mean, that, that's the exact model of our jam program. Kids learn. Everybody learns in different ways. But only 65% learn sitting at a at a table. So the way we, we did it before was we're basically saying to 35% of our kids, we don't care if you learn anything. <laughs> That's not a good good message. But now we do it in three different ways, covering the three major ways kids learn. Most kids will learn two out of the three, but they're going to get it. And we certainly have the uh, the uh, the the evidence that they are getting it in the way these kids are growing up now. And uh, it's just just awesome and incredible. So yeah, you, you have to do what. What's going to work, which again requires self-control on our part <laughs> to change our way of interacting. You now, this is my fallback position—the way I would like it to work. But if it doesn't work with you, I have to be willing to look at look at the way I'm doing it and and change that. I mean, look at Jesus. Did everything he do was it? You know, standing on on the mountain preaching. I mean, sometimes it's a one-to-one. He's meeting a woman at the well. Let me sit down and talk to you. No, I'm not supposed to, but that's okay. We'll talk.
0: Sometimes it was visual. Mm-hmm. Because someone could walk. Or yep. someone Miracles performed. Head, yep. And so
2: yep, and a number of di- different ways, and uh, um, he knew what was needed in that circumstance, and and he was willing to do it. And
0: he didn't reach everybody.
2: Oh no. I mean, you know, so we don't
0: need, we need not to be discouraged when the first time doesn't
2: work. And that's probably the best news of all. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, seriously, when you you, you look at the percentage the percentage of, of actual believers when it was all said and done with Jesus is staggering. You know, I mean, he just the feeding of the 5,000 alone was at least 20,000 people, if not 30,000 people, because that would just count men. The feeding of the 4,000, an equivalent number. He had to get on the mountaintop, get so high because of the thousands of people that he had to cast his voice over. So Jesus spoke to and related to I'm absolutely convinced several hundred thousand people, but there, after the resurrection, and the Bible's really good at this, they give us numbers, the exact count, 3,000 on Pentecost, you got 150, 150 out of 200,000, I mean, the percentage of retention Jesus himself had, so yeah, it's not. A, it doesn't work with everybody. <laughs> it's it. It really. I mean, even the uh, the parable of the sower. What's the percentage there? Only twenty five percent, right? Only twenty five percent land in good soil. Only one out of four. That's actually I, I would say a high estimate <laughs> at that point. You know, really. So that's why you have to keep casting your net. Sometimes you have to go to the other side of the boat. Remember, Jesus told 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 him, you know, they're fishing on this side, caught nothing all night. Well, try the other side. Like three feet away, <laughs> just change, change that a little wee bit, and you'd be amazed. But if, if you keep insisting, you've got to do it my way. Pe- people pick up on that real, real, real quick and become very resistant to it. So, but when they see us gentle and kind, and and exercising self-control and are willing to change ourselves to offer to you what what you really need, yeah, that that's what makes all the difference in the world. So that's a good way to witness. Let's see if we get a little bit in chapter 6, shall we? Because it's so fun. Alright, so now in chapter 6 we see why Paul is writing the letter. It's raining like crazy out now. Uh, just all of a sudden I can see it. it's blowing and everything. It might be done by the time we get out of here. If not, we've got donuts for, for you to, 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 to bide the time. So the reason he's writing this is because the Galatian churches were experiencing strife and discord. There was not unity in these churches. Now, you can understand how this would happen. It it can happen no other way. Paul comes, everyone is unified in in, in this church. Let's just say Paul came and spoke to, to, you know, and gathered us together in foreign BUMC. We're all together. Six months later, one of these Judaizers was invited to come and speak on Sunday morning. And told us, well, I mean, it seems very clear that Scripture says we should be circumcised and we should honor these food laws and we, we should, you know, you know, God's law is really important. Why would he have given the law if it's not important? We, should, we need to add God's law to this, this faith that Paul talks about. And half of the congregation, 50% of the congregation, said that makes perfect sense. I believe that. So now we have a congregation split 50-50, those who truly believed what, what, what the gospel Paul brought, and then another 50% that, that are kind of mixing the two together. Now you have those two factions in the sanctuary. You have them in your Sunday school classes. You have them here in Bible study. right? You guys are the Judaizers. You guys are the real Christians. Would, would you like to reverse that? Uh, but you know, So now as we, as we read what Scripture says, you're going to see it through one set of lenses... You're going to see it through another set of lenses. And as you speak, the other is going to say, no, that's not right. Everything that is spoken starts with, that's not right. (laughs) In other words, you're wrong. Let me tell you what is right. That's strife, right? That's discord. That's, That's disunity. That's awful. You wouldn't want to go to church like that. It would be terrible, but that's the way these churches were, and that's why Paul is writing the way he's writing. You guys are destroying each other. Remember he said, Yeah, biting each other. Right? You're attacking fellow Christians. What worse model, what worse witness could there be for Christ than to than to witness Christians going at at each other? again the internet <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, you know, when, when Christians start weighing in and oh I could be really terrible because you know no one knows me so I'll just you know say whatever I want now it doesn't work that way so to remedy strife and discord in a church Paul gives us two ways to handle it you're going to want to write this down Paul says you handle strife and discord in a church with, first of all, personal responsibility. And secondly, with collective accountability. Personal responsibility and collective accountability. Now, the application of that is if every member of our church was taking personal responsibility that everyone in the church accepted the fact that the leaders of the church are leading toward Christ and we all take responsibility for what we can do to help in that process we would be fine. So if there is a person, a group, whatever, who is not taking personal responsibility to be unified in spirit with the rest, then Paul says you must impose collective accountability. You must demand that the stragglers come back to be unified with what the rest of us are doing. but if we're all exercising personal responsibility we would never have a problem in the church that everybody would be focused on the mission of Christ rather than what, what I want so what I'm saying is that personal responsibility is, is the cure to strife and discord before it starts right you will prevent it from ever starting but if it has started the cure then becomes collective accountability insisting and demanding that we all are together on this hearken back to Corinth strife and discord like you in not believe a bunch of people women were taking upon themselves to speak in tongues in, in the church disrupting everything total chaos nonsense what does Paul say? stop it Collective responsibility, or accountability. Everybody has to get on the same page here. So stop speaking in tongues. Just stop it. If you can't handle it, we'll take it away from you. A young man marries his mother. The church thought that was really cool. Look how cosmopolitan we are. Paul says, no, no, no. If he can't take responsibility for that, you pick him up and you throw him outside the church in the hopes that he will realize the error of his ways, repent, and be willing to come back. that's an example of continual reminders of what is important when it came to communion they had communion at night it was a meal rich people don't have to work as much they get off they're done at three o'clock they come eat all the food drink all the wine they're drunk off, off, off their chairs by six or seven o'clock when the, the working people get there there's no food left there's no wine left so Paul says stop that right right don't you have food at home, he says? <laughs> Don't you have wine at home? <laughs> do it there and be mindful of the needs of, of the others. Right. So there's, there's this, this idea of we need to be doing together here. Unity. And the way to do that is to each one of us be aware of that and take personal responsibility for it. If not, it's my job and the rest of the leaders of the church to wamp you up alongside the head. But we can't have 600 people doing 600 different things. It's pretty silly. We have to decide what's important and and join together in that. Now, there's a lot of individuality when it comes to the expressions of the Spirit and all of that. Sure. But on core issues, we need to be together. We can't have people speaking in tongues but not kingdom building. Right? We can't be doing what we want to do and forgetting what we all must be doing. Now to review, you are declared free from the boundaries and limitations of the law. So in this freedom, we must choose to do the right thing. We must choose righteousness, which means that we will take personal responsibility to do so. You're free to make that choice. You're free not to make the choice. But if you refuse to make the right choice, then we as a church cannot say, well, by all means, go ahead and do that. Go ahead and marry your mother. Go ahead and disrupt the worship service anytime you want. Would you like that? The rest of us wouldn't like that. Therefore, we need to hold others accountable for that as well. We are individual Christians within the community of fellow believers, and all of us are submitting to the Spirit. That's what we're holding ourselves accountable Mm -hmm. to. So Paul explains in these last verses that we must be taking personal responsibility to bear one another's burdens, and that includes, it includes taking care of your pastor and teachers. We'll get into that. We'll have some fun with that. Paul tells us we better do this as God is keeping a record and is going to hold us accountable for our choices. So he's trying to make it abundantly clear what we are to do. In other words, what the church needs to be so that we can be the best witnesses we can for Christ. Verse one. So Paul begins by by speaking to those in these Galatian churches who remain true to the faith. So he's shifting gears now. First five chapters were basically to the Judaizers, those who were going against Paul's teaching. He's yelling at them, "Who cut in front of you?" He says, "Right." He's talking to them. Now he's shifting. He's speaking to the few true Christians that are left in these churches. And he's telling them, it is your responsibility to get everybody else, hold them accountable. You've got to take, take control of this. So he refers to the, the brothers who have fallen away. And Paul offers the way to love a brother who has made some bad faith decisions. The conclusion is, restore him gently. So, that's going to require of us some thought. It's going to require of us, more importantly, some prayer before we speak. Scripture says, if you ask the Spirit, the Spirit will give you the words to say. Wouldn't that be nice? Rather than sticking your foot in your mouth all the time and wondering, boy, I keep doing that? It's because you're getting ahead of the Spirit and you're doing what you want to do. Patience ask the Spirit, wait for the Spirit, wait for that green light, and then speak. But not until. Now, verse 1, Paul says that, second part, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. So, he's speaking now to the, for lack of a better phrase, good Christians. Real Christians. For those of us who are good Christians, why do we need to watch ourselves for fear of being tempted? I mean, what possibly could we be tempted to do that would become for spiritual focus sin? In this interaction and gently leading a fallen brother back into the faith, what, what would be a sin on our part? What would we, we be tempted to do that would result in sin against another person?
1: That they're not getting the, the, the right stuff.
2: This is so obvious. <laughs> right. What's the matter with you? <laughs> what else could we be tempted into, into sin and doing? Mm,
0: joining them. Okay. Maybe.
2: Yeah. Thinking that, well, sure, that makes sense. <laughs> I know the truth, but nah, I'll be like you. I don't want to make any waves. Yeah. What else could we be tempted to do? So, yeah, I'll, I'll just let this stuff go—the important stuff. I'll just just pass on that. Okay? What else could tempt us? Now, get me a picture of the scene. You're the good Christian talking to a fallen brother or sister. Imagine that conversation. You're trying to win this person back to Christ. What could you be tempted to do?
0: Make it sound like I was better
2: than that. Yeah. Superiority, uh, judging Pre- the other person. Judge. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Appearing conceited, that was the end yeah. of chapter five, right? You see? Right? So you, you could convey a sinful attitude. Remember the bad list, the vast majority of them were attitudes. They're not actions, and murder's not even in the list. Right? So it's the way we present ourselves. We could actually sin and therefore not have an effective result. <laughs> so we've actually pushed the fallen brother away further. And we've actually damaged our own faith in the process. Talk about a lose-lose. Right? So he says, watch out. You've got to watch yourself. Or you will fall into a trap yourself. You, you may a- exemplify a pride. Which is huge. Like the worst thing you can possibly do in the Bible is pride. Just be all proud and, you know, I'm a good Christian and you're not. And, yeah, you know, superior, that type of thing. That, you know, just Conveying that, you're not going to stand a chance with that other person. One more verse. Let's look at verse 2. Now, remember, we're not bound to the law anymore. But Paul says that we can fulfill the law of Christ by carrying each other's burdens. The law of Christ is the law of love. It's the only law we're concerned with. Not a bunch of individual laws like the law, Moses' law. But this is one singular law of love. When we love another person, we'll be willing to carry another person's burdens. Doesn't that sound a lot like love your neighbor as yourself? Would you appreciate somebody helping you with with a heavy load? so we're not talking about the law of Moses here this is the law of Christ in other words the law of love and the law of Jesus that love since it comes from the spirit precludes that we have in fact submitted to the spirit to start with see you're not going to get it unless you submit to the spirit I've looked at Walmart there's no aisle that's called the love aisle or the peace aisle or the joy aisle or any of that you're kidding Nope. It's, it's full and complete. China is not manufacturing love yet. Has everything. You would think. So, but not yet. So the only way we're going to get that is submit to the Spirit. There is no other way. Don't even try. You will fail miserably.
0: And that's, that's why we can't recruit Stephen Minster's. We can't recruit them because it's the law of Christ that brings them to us. Yep, you have to Christ wait for the
2: Spirit to speak to them and lead them. Huh? Christ recruited me. Yep, yeah. but
0: I meant as leaders. Right. We don't
2: so that that demonstrates patience on your part to allow the Spirit to speak to individuals in the congregation and lead them forward. Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't stand up on Sunday morning and say anybody want to be a Stephen minister because first of all you get the wrong person the person who's not actually called. Who hasn't submitted to the Spirit yet? That would be a disaster. So yeah, you just have to be patient and just let it let let it work out. But it's worked pretty well so far, hasn't it?
0: <laughs> What's amazing is when you carry someone else's burden, you receive so much back. Yeah. You don't even know what you're going to receive.
2: Yep. But it will be a blessing. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. All right, we'll shut her down for there.